It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 856 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, December the 30th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, and you can also uh, find the podcast on all of your favorite podcast providers. It is very much appreciated when you leave ratings, reviews, subscriptions. When you tell a friend, that's super helpful as well. Word of mouth, baby. It's the original advertising, and it's great for podcasts in particular. So please tell a friend if they're a Raptors fan that needs some content in their life to talk about your 0-3 Toronto Raptors. It's very much appreciated when you spread the good word of the podcast. Uh, also, as always, check out all the stuff we got going on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Next week, with the NHL season fastly approaching, fastly, quickly, whatever the hell word you want to use for that, uh, whatever adverb, it is coming up very soon, and we will have a four-part NHL preview special next week on the uh, Lockdown NHL podcast feed, featuring all of our local hosts uh, filling you in on what to expect with the NHL season coming up. So... As always, there are far more than just this one podcast on the Lockdown Network for you to love and enjoy and support, so go and do it. All right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors, as mentioned, are 0-3 after a 100-93 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers on Tuesday night. Probably the biggest dick punch loss the Raptors have suffered so far in three games. The fourth quarter was absolutely disastrous. Pascal Siakam fouls out. Fred Van Vliet goes 3-12 and looks like uh, not very good most of the game. The bench is weird and strange rotations, and it's all very, very panicky on Raptors Internet right now. And joining me to, I think, help calm people down a little bit, I mean, maybe unless he's forged some very hot takes since last night, is our pal, it is Big V, it is Big CBC, adding the new nickname Big Lavender to his name, as somebody once said that his voice sounds like lavender, which is pretty true, it is Vivek Jacob. What's going on, buddy? (laughs) Thank you for that flattering (laughs) intro. Uh, I can (laughs) smell the lavender through the microphone, it's beautiful. (laughs) That might be because I have lavender hand sanitizer right in front of me. That could be it. But I'm going to choose to believe it's you. I might just spritz the air from now on with this whenever I'm on the podcast wow. with you. Just I like it. The I like it all. I like it all. <laughs> this is a very positive way to end 2020, and I dig it. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, how's it going? <laughs> it's good, man. It's good. I'm just hanging out at home as usual because I'm trying to... Be as safe as possible. So this will be a very quiet New Year's. Um, mm-hmm. Besides that, 
you know, this loss, it's a tough loss. Uh, hoping for a bounce back against Philly, but honestly, if I'm being totally honest, my expectations weren't high going in against a Philly team right. that I think is really good or is going to build mm-hmm. into being a really good team. And part of why my expectations were low were because I didn't really recognize the team I saw in the first two games. And I was yeah. like, this, this is not a very Raptors-like team right now. And what I mean by that is the defense looked unrecognizable. They mm-hmm. weren't really getting out in transition much. And there was just a lot of chemistry issues, which you expect because there's a lot of new personnel. But again, continuity and chemistry have been such a strength for this team. And that's, again, taking some time to come along. What encourages me in this game and probably is my biggest takeaway is the Raptors looked a lot more like the Raptors and the Mm -hmm. defense was a lot better. They had 24 fast break points. Those things portend to them getting back to what they're usually capable of. Now, having said that, it also depends on what your expectations are going into this season. And yeah, I did not see them as one of the best teams in the East. I thought at best that, and I think I said this on the over under podcast as well, that I see them battling for home court, you know, being right at least close enough to fight for that fourth seed. And that's what I saw their ceiling. As I said, that I wouldn't be surprised if they got knocked out in the first round, depending on what their matchup is. So based on those expectations, uh, I I think, you know, that they're a lot closer to getting to that level. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I was obviously a little bit higher, especially in the regular season version of the team. In terms of the playoffs, I think it's a crapshoot because the seeding is going to matter so, so much, and it's, it's kind of unknowable. But in terms of the regular season, I just I felt like even with the losses of Gasol and Ibaka, you weren't going to see an enormous drop-off you know, factoring in the replacements and internal growth. It just, it didn't feel like this was going to go from a 60 win team to some sort of poverty, like barely making it out of the play in type of team, right? Like, I just thought they were going to be good. Kyle Lowry drives winning, and we'll talk about <laughs> Kyle Lowry in a sec with my biggest takeaway, but like, I just, I thought it was going to be a very good season. And maybe I underestimated the loss of Gasol and Ibaka. Maybe I underestimated the Tampa Bay thing. And maybe this will be a tougher season, but. I feel pretty good after last night's game, despite the very, very poor finish and the ugly fouling out of Pascal Siakam, uh, who continues to, I think, be kind of spooked whenever he plays the Sixers and Joel Embiid. You know, I I think for the most part, this game had a lot of encouraging signs from Kyle Lowry to OG Ananobi with the 20 points and the five steals and kind of doing his marauding best and even you know the bench guys like I thought Alex Len while his stat line was meager was totally passable and fine I thought Stanley Johnson offered some stuff we'll talk about the bench in the second segment I should also note that later in the show in the final part of the show we're going to reprise the segment from last week called uh oh or eh no as we ad- uh, try to diagnose some problems with the team um there's your tease six minutes into the podcast but um yeah I, I think there were a lot of encouraging signs the defense in particular I mean in the first half, they were like the Raptors, what we know the Raptors to yeah. be, swarming, like just terrifying. The rotations were on point. Everyone kind of filling in the spot that the other person is vacated to go cause havoc somewhere else. And it felt pretty good. And even in the second half, I mean, the Sixers only score 52 points in the second half. They only score 100 points in the game. Um, you know, they, they don't shoot terribly well. I think the Raptors did a pretty good job. It was basically the free throw line where they got cooked and mostly due to Embiid. And Embiid is a freak. He's ridiculous. He's so good. He had 29 last night, 16 boards, four assists, two steals, two blocks. Like, he's everywhere. He's terrifying. He freaks everybody out when they go to the rim. He's like if Rudy Gobert could also score. And that is a very, very good combination. And so, yeah, it's a tough loss to a good team that they had in the bag, it seemed. But I'm not like panicking and thinking oh this means the Raptors have lost all of their sauce and they're just there's nothing of the previous identity of the team because we saw bits of that identity throughout the game Um, 
and you know part of that identity is very much tied to being good when Kyle Lowry's on the floor and not so much when it's off and that's my big takeaway from the game Vivek is that my god they need to figure out the 12 minutes even that Kyle's got to sit because you know it's it's interesting because that's a problem that is both daunting in that it just it doesn't seem like they have a lot of ideas but also if you sort of pare it all down if you look at the course of a game you're pretty much guaranteed to be all right and probably a significant plus when Kyle's on the floor. He's just, he's really good. He was a plus 12 last night. He was the best player on the team in that department. And he, like, fixes everything. Like, the the bench will come in. They'll muck it up for a bit. They'll score three points in six minutes or whatever the hell. Kyle will come in and boom, there's a 10-0 run. It's just, it's clockwork at this point. And I feel really good that this team is among the better teams in the East when Kyle is on the floor. So, it you know, that 12 minutes feels daunting, but if you do pare it all down, it's just 12 minutes they need to figure out. It's two six-minute stretches, basically, that they need to find some sort of workable solution. And I just, my overarching takeaway is that I don't think Fred VanVleet running every pick and roll down, down the floor is the answer to that solution. And I just, I don't, the, the sample at this point is quite large that Fred Van Vliet is not a go-to number one ball handler. He's an excellent, excellent, one of the best off-ball players in the league, an incredible catch-and-shoot shooter, a great secondary creator who can attack a, a, a sort of displaced defense a lot more effectively. But as a number one, starting the possession from the start of the shot clock, he just is not it, and that's okay. I don't think... You know, when I was doing the calculus of what to pay Fred Van Vliet in the offseason and what I'd be okay with, I was totally understanding of the fi- of the fact that he's just not a guy who you really want being your number one creator. It seems as though the Raptors are still willing to push that. I mean, we talked with Lewis yesterday about how Fred ran more pick and rolls through the first two games than even Kyle. And, and it's just, you can't have that. You're going to have issues, especially when the rest of the team around him is not firing on all cylinders either. I, I don't know. It, it's... Where are you at with Fred? Where are you at with those 12 precious minutes where Kyle is off the floor? And and this is not just a Fred thing. This is a Pascal thing as well, too, because he was very bad last night. He had no assists after two very promising playmaking games and shot horribly from two-point range and looked spooked by Embiid and all that stuff, fouled out very, very strangely with lack of composure and all that stuff. It's just it feels like there's got to be a solution in there in those 12 minutes. Do you think it has to do with Fred? Do you like what what do you what's your read on those minutes without Kyle right now that really seem to be the only bugaboo? So there's a few things that's that are worth talking about here. And with Fred, I think we can all agree that pick and roll is a big weakness for him. That playmaking in general is just not his biggest strong suit. And so he's more of a scorer. He's much better when he's off the ball. But what is the goal for the organization? And I think that's an important question here because if this is, again, a transitional year where you're trying to get guys to be better, and if you envision Fred Van Vliet as a starter at his size, he needs to be able to operate in the pick and roll. He needs to be able to play make uh, and make the guys around him better and say this does end up being Kyle Lowry's last season. You almost want him in those pick and roll scenarios where you can look at film and guys like Kyle can shepherd him and say, okay, this is where you need to be better here. These are where pockets of space are going to open up and you can make better reads. He's not going to get better at this stuff if he doesn't actually do it. And that's something that developmentally the Raptors have subscribed to for a while now. We've seen it with Pascal Siakam's three-point shot. We're seeing it now with OG being able to do a bit more offensively. And so those are two sides of the coin for Fred Van Vliet. On some level, if this is just what he is as a pick-and-roll ball handler, then you almost have to wonder if he's peaked in terms of his role because at his size, is he then best suited to being a starter or is he best suited to the role we saw on the championship team where he was a sixth, Mm -hmm. seventh man just coming in and going lights out. Um, And then, you know, the nights where 
size is a factor where he can't really, uh, you know, score at ease at the rim. I mean, that's always a difficulty for him, but when he can't get his shot off uh, in space, then maybe he just plays less minutes. So Mm -hmm. those are the things that need to be tackled with Fred. What you see as his role long-term and then for the 12 minutes, you have to get Malachi Flynn in the game. If mm-hmm. if you're talking about getting better in pick and roll scenarios, if you're talking about playmaking, if you're talking about those 12 minutes where Kyle Lowry's not on the floor and you need someone that can shepherd the team, lead the team, he's a rookie, but those seem to be his strengths. So are you trying to balance you know, getting Fred to a certain point and knowing that Flynn is going to get plenty of opportunity at some point anyway. I, those are things, those are internal conversations that obviously we're not privy to, but I would think sooner than later, we're going to see Malachi Flynn. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing, look, it's probably trouble that you're hoping a rookie can save you in those 12 minutes, right. And, and stabilize what has been the weakest part of your game. But He's 22. He was, I believe, 95th percentile in pick and roll operation in all of the NCAA last year. And that's the entire book on him is this dude is ready to play and this dude can run an offense extremely capably like an adult. And when you're drafting a 22 year old guy, like there's not much in the way of like waiting, right? It's like just get him in there and see what happens. If it is a fact finding season, if you're going to go through the rigors of having Fred run your offense because you want to see if he's cut out to be your point guard long-term as as the number one, like the same logic applies. Like you want to figure out what you have in Malachi Flynn right now, especially if Kyle is going to be gone after this year, which I I think the way he's playing and the way the the market is shaping up, maybe the Raptors just keep him on another another three-year max or something like that because he's awesome. But like you have to get Flynn at least in there. If you're going to play Stanley freaking Johnson, like you have to get Flynn some run just to see if all of the hype and all of the belief in his pick and roll operation is actually true. And from the preseason, it looked damn true. Yes. That's the preseason against the freaking Hornets, but still it's the strength that he is most known for. It's like having a guy from college who is like an unbelievable rim protector, maybe doesn't do a whole lot else, but is like the best rim protector in the league. And if your defense stinks, you might throw that dude in just to see if it works. And I I think the logic applies the same to Flynn. And I think, you know, I was encouraged, and we'll get to the bench in just a sec, I was encouraged by the fact, not so much that Stanley Johnson was the one that played, but I think I was encouraged by the fact that Nurse altered up his bench rotation a little bit and seemed a little bit more experimental, a little less rigid than he seemed to suggest he was going to be. And maybe that means Flynn's number comes up soon. And they're 0-3. I would imagine they'll start to get a little bit break glass in case of emergency like uh, shortly here. And hopefully Flynn's the guy because he just seems to fit the bill of someone you can throw in next to Fred on the, in those bench lineups even just to give Fred a little bit of help mm. and maybe make things and just give the team another ball handler. As Joe Wolfon said last night, the Raptors might have exactly one good ball handler right now. I don't think that's entirely true of the overarching you know, shape of the team. I think Pascal is a capable ball handler, and I think he should probably be getting the ball in his hands a little bit more often when Kyle's off the floor just because he, to me, is a bit more of a dynamic pick-and-roll operator. He can get to the rim a lot better, finish a lot better, you would think, in theory, historically, <laughs> not so much so far this year, at the rim than Fred. And he just his playmaking has been really nice. And so that is another thing too. just give the ball to Pascal more often. It doesn't have to be Fred every single time down the floor. And I hate like piling on Fred because we love Fred Van Vliet here. This is a pro Fred Van Vliet podcast, but it's just it's gotten to the point where the sample is extremely large and there's 35 extra minutes added to the sample every single night that he's not someone you want running your offense as a primary ball handler. So in short, Malachi Flynn Hive is strong, it is buzzing, and I would like to see him play uh, as soon as possible to see if he can be the salve for those 12 minutes. Because it is just really, to me, 12 minutes to get the freak, get, get figured out because it, it is the rest of the game is pretty pretty good when Kyle's on the floor, as it turns the, out. Because that dude freaking rules. The one last thing I just want to add is what I said about Fred can apply to Malachi Flynn too. Right. If this is going to be Kyle Lowry's last season, you want him to get minutes so that Kyle can guide him and say, hey, this is the stuff you're doing wrong. This is the stuff that you can do better. Here's, you know, again, just 
lending his mind to what Flynn is trying to do. So in some ways, you almost need to accelerate the process with him. I know you can look back on Fred Van Vliet and it took some time for him to come along and be a part of the rotation. But if again, if this is going to be Kyle's last season, you almost need to further that process and accelerate it a bit. I might start a swear jar type thing where we, whenever we talk about it being Kyle's potentially last season, we put some money in because right. uh, it's depressing. That'll be hell. the last time I say uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're outlawing that on the podcast going forward. Uh, that was a very, very long first segment, but I think it was worth the time. So we're going to continue on and move into segment two where we're going to dive into the bench. Uh, Stanley Johnson, Alex Len, Matt Thomas, and Chris Boucher getting depressed roles in this game uh, before we get into uh-oh or eh, no in the final segment of the show. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friend over at betonline.ag the best place for you to be putting your money down on sports betting right now betonline.ag is offering a free account sign up as well as a 50 percent welcome bonus when you use the promo code locked on again at betonline.ag so with that welcome bonus it means if you deposit 100 bucks you're going to get 150 in your account if you deposit a thousand bucks you're going to get 1500 dollars in your account there's a it's a great offer and you should really take advantage of it because there's a million sports going on right now i've been betting on basketball games to help pass the covid days it's been fun i'm not very good at it but it's been a good time just little penny bets and things like that uh you can bet on college bowl games the nfl playoffs are coming up as well there's no shortage of stuff for you to put your money down on with betonline.ag don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on the action don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive 50 percent of a welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts hey guys it's walker mail host of the locked on hornets podcast and being around sports media and a fan of the hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former SportsCenter anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, Big V, let's uh, dive into the bench stuff here. First, though, a reminder that uh, in conjunction with our pals at betonline.ag, we have a new podcast with the Locked On Network called Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q of the Locked On Raiders, as well as Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. Very bite-sized, 10, 15 minutes every day, giving you the lowdown on the best bets to make. I believe they've had winning days eight days straight. They're going to win you some money, so go listen to Locked On Bets on your favorite podcast provider. All right, Vivek, the bench last night was different. Uh, I don't know if it's entirely surprising considering it was Joel Embiid. I don't think Chris Boucher necessarily is cut out for that matchup at center. He's about uh, one-third the size of Joel Embiid, and so I'm not surprised we saw his role diminished a little bit. Maybe we could have seen him slide to the four if they wanted to go big, but that did not take place. Uh, Stanley Johnson, Alex Len, and Norm Powell are the first guys off the bench in the first sub. Johnson uh, plays 22 minutes in this one. Len plays 21 and they were, I don't know, mixed reviews, I guess. Johnson's offense is not good, aside from the kick-ass put-back dunk that Kyle Lowry very clearly directed him to go do because Kyle Lowry's a genius. Um, he gets that put-back. He hits a three. Yeah, he was one of three from deep. Had seven points, eight boards, two steals, a block. Was fine. Did defense and did bad offense. That's kind of the Stanley Johnson experience. And then Alex Len, you know, capable rim protection i thought he was better than aaron baines in this game that's for damn sure baines was pretty awful off the, uh, in the starting lineup and uh i don't know i i, I like len just fine he had one really beautiful pass on the roll to og in the corner which uh, made me cry a little bit because it was so pretty um but overall impressions of the changed bench rotation for this game do you think it's going to be a pattern or was this just a, a symptom of it's the sixers and you need some extra beef out there i do think it was more matchup oriented and with Len, obviously his mobility is a bit of an issue, but you could see how much his size helped. And it was almost a breath of fresh air to see the Raptors with that big a body in there to do some <laughs> bruising of their own. 
because that, that that's been tough to watch like the rebounding has been really tough to watch and just the mm-hmm. way the teams have been able to bully them inside the the complete lack of fear that they've shown going towards the rim that's uh been tough as well i thought len helped a bit in that regard so yeah i thought i thought he was solid in his minutes uh, stanley the expectations are low but Again, he was effective in his minutes. You're not expecting the three to fall. He got one to fall. He needs to handle the ball better. There were a couple of times where he looked like Butterfingers out there. But <laughs> oh, the Stanley Johnson experience. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got a look. <laughs> not something I expected to endure in Game Three of the season. I gotta say. But hey, now Nick is saying that if he keeps playing like that. He'll be a part of the rotation. Mm. I mean, that's just what the Raptors' options are at small forward, right? And yeah. Norman Powell, the struggles continue. I thought maybe, you know, those two threes that he hit early on would kickstart something for him, but that really wasn't the case. Over the course of the season, I do wonder if him having to shift over and play a lot more at the three than the two is going to hurt him. And again, that's just the roster makeup at the moment. I'm not going to lie. like It's only three games, but even before the season, we said that, that this team sort of screams trade, right? Just to get better fits on yeah. the roster. And we're, we're seeing that more and more with each game. Uh, and there's definitely holes that they can fill. And I guess I, you... you you wait to figure out exactly what you need. Other teams are going to figure out exactly what they need. And then you go ahead and try and make something happen. But the bench, again, I just think they need a bit more leadership. Kyle can only play so many minutes. And Mm. like you said, the issues aren't huge. The biggest thing was the defense. I saw a big positive. Uh, You saw some fast break offense pick up. The half court is going to be an issue all season um, unless they swing a major trade for mm-hmm. a specific superstar or two. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the bench, I mean, the bench situation, I think that's going to be something that changes with every game. It, it, I know Nick said that he'd like to see a more rigid uh, rotation in terms of that seventh and eighth guy getting consistent minutes. But I think it's going to have to be plug and play because there's going to be so much variability across the board with who your bench options are. There isn't really anyone you look at there and say, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to get every single night. Yeah. I thought, um, I, I, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing the last name, but John Jerka, uh, a, a Raptors Twitter, uh, fellow, he had a really good point last night in that the Raptors are probably a very good team. They have four players who are kind of matchup, independent they're fine in, in whatever situation and then everybody else it's like eight or nine guys who are all very matchup dependent and it's going to kind of change night to night who is most useful and I think that is a pretty good summation of things and it's probably going to take nurse some time to figure out which matchups are best suited to which guys like I think you can probably play Matt Thomas most nights because shooting that that shit works no matter what and I, I I'm surprised he played so little last night, especially when you could have hit him on, you know, a Danny Green or a Seth Curry, uh, and maybe not get burned too badly. But he didn't play a ton, just 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 the eight minutes, and he breathes so much life into the offense when he's out there that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more through the struggles. Um, you know, Boucher again. I'm not surprised he didn't play a ton, and I think there will certainly be some matchups where he's just not cut out for it, and that's okay. But yeah, it's uh, it's certainly an issue. The I can't say I agree necessarily with the way Nurse has done the hierarchy so far. Again, we haven't seen Flynn yet. I think we need to see Flynn. I think Bembry, I'm surprised he didn't play. Like, if you're going to play Stanley Johnson, I would just play Bembry instead. Bembry does basically the same things and also can dribble. And so I'm surprised we didn't see him considering the way Nurse has talked so glowingly about him early on this season uh, through training camp. And so it's, it's certainly a work in progress. But, yeah, I'm with you that the – 
the trade thing is starting to creep into my mind a little bit more. And it's nice that they have a lot of things they can consolidate. It's not nice that maybe their best tradable chip is Norm Powell, who right now I don't think would get anybody terribly excited in a trade because of the way he's playing. And we'll get to him in the final segment. But yeah, it's... uh... Len was fine. I guess that that was an encouraging thing that he can give you decent minutes off the bench. Uh, he didn't look good in the first half. He looked a lot better in the second half. It's just uh, going to be a bit of a work in progress. And I, I think Nurse can dip a little bit further into the, the depth of guys he has to maybe assemble a bench rotation that makes a little bit more sense. And then also maybe just run Kyle and four bench guys more often because that is always uh, pretty damn good. So... We'll leave the bench talk there for now. We're going to get into our uh, new wonderful segment that everybody loves. Uh, the reviews were extremely raving uh, from last week. They weren't. I don't. We didn't get any reviews about it, but I'm assuming they were great. We're going to play Uh-Oh or Eh, No coming up in just a second about some Raptors issues that are either little issues, big issues. We'll get to that in just a sec. But first, I want to tell everybody about Built Go which is a wonderful product from our friends over at Built Bar, and it is the best way to help you break through the wall, mental or physical, that we all hit at some point during the day. You know, it's tiring out there, man. You're, you're staying up late to watch basketball games. You're waking up early to do menial tasks, and by the time 1 or 2 o'clock comes around, you just want to take a nap. But instead, you can have a go and power through. It's easy to take in 1.5-ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your pocket, your backpack, whatever it might be, wherever you're going, or just have it at home if you're working from home. That's cool, too. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's basically like taking a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. You're not drinking one of those disgusting, like weird-colored monster drinks. You're getting something with a third of the caffeine that's better for you with better results. It's got three tasty flavors in peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. And you may be asking yourself, how, Sean, does Built Go work so well? Well, guess what? It's because of collagen protein, baby. Collagen protein is fast absorbing. It gets into your system quickly. It's easy on your stomach, and it promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. It literally makes you look and feel better. Built Go is loaded with the good stuff as well to ignite your work, including beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And it also has 10,000% of your daily percentage of B6 and B12 vitamins. Get your vitamins. Get some Built Go into you now. Visit BuiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you're going to get 20% off of your next order. That is the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Hey, guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, Big V. Uh, by the way, just a heads up, I think this is going to be the last episode of the week uh, with New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and just kind of need a little bit of a break. The Knicks game, if anything crazy comes out of that, we'll talk about it, but it feels like a Knicks game is probably an okay one to skip if you're going to skip one. Hopefully they don't lose that game. If they lose, we may talk. Either way, Vivek, let's get to everybody's favorite segment, Uh-Oh or Eh No, where we throw three different issues the Raptors have had so far and uh, we discuss whether or not there are real things to be concerned about or things that will go away in due time. Uh, the first one here I have is the center position. Aaron Baines uh, was pretty good through the first two games. They got a lot of production from Baines and Boucher in the first two games. But I think the game against the Sixers maybe highlighted some inconsistencies and some reasons to maybe not trust that it's going to be awesome every single night. Boucher couldn't play. Len played 21 minutes. He got a lot of Baines in there, 22, and he was pretty bad in his minutes. Are you concerned about the effectiveness of the center position for the Raptors, or was the Sixers game kind of a one-off and a lot tied to Joel Embiid being a freaking monster? So this will go down in the category of uh uh-oh. Uh-huh. But also... 
I wasn't expecting much from the center position anyway. So, right. You know, Baines, I think, is going to be effective in his role, but you're going to come up against superstar centers like Joel Embiid uh, and struggle. You don't have Marcus All, you don't have Serge Ibaka. That's the reality of the matter. And it's a significant drop off. That there's no hiding away from that. So, yeah, it's an oh, it's going to be a problem when they go up against elite centers. Aaron Baines, some of this stuff is definitely just getting on board chemistry wise, right? And the number of times Kyle could have found him in the pick and roll, or you know, tried to find him, and Baines just wasn't expecting the pass, or just wasn't able to make a clean yeah. catch. You expect some of that to improve over time. Some of that is hand. Some of that is just not expecting it, not uh, making the right read. So it's an uh-oh for sure. Uh, unless there's a big move to be made, this is going to be a problem when they go up against the best centers in the league. Yeah, I'm with you in that it's an uh-oh for me as well. I think, look, I still believe that center is the easiest ro- like like spot for a team to kind of survive a loss and, and build something around like it's the infrastructures in place for centers to be successful with the Raptors between the perimeter defense between Kyle Lowry and his pick and roll chemistry with every big in the league minus Aaron Baines it seems like it, it really is a place where a big should thrive and be totally passable but yeah when you come up against guys like Joel Embiid I'm sure this will happen against like Jokic as well when they whenever they play Denver it's going to be a problem because the talent disparity is going to be enormous and neither Baines nor Len nor Boucher is as like well-rounded or good as either Ibaka or Gasol, I still maintain that I don't think the loss of those two guys is as important on the court as it is just sort of in terms of off-court vibes and happiness, but it still is a, a, a certain drop-off, clearly, and they miss Gasol's extra passing and they miss Ibaka's finishing and all that stuff. I, I think... I'm less worried about it because I do think if there is a spot to trade for, this is probably the one where you can most easily find a move. Um, Andre Drummond. Uh, God, I feel sick just thinking about being excited by Andre Drummond, but he looks really good so far for the Cavs, so sue me. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's it's difficult, man. I, I... it was always going to be the weakest spot on the team, always going to be the spot with probably the most night-to-night turnover in terms of who's actually playing the position when it matters most. We have not seen, however, a lot of OG at center, which, as we've talked about, is probably the best look they're going to have. I think they're probably still working on who the other pieces in that lineup are. If Norm's going to play like this, kind of like the playoffs, you can't go to that small lineup because Norm is such a liability. But I am... Um, it's a problem for sure. I'm not happy with the center play so far. Some matchups, it'll be better than others. But I do think it is probably one of the more fixable spots on the team if they do need to go out and do something or just trade for not even an Andre Drummond or a big contract guy, but just like a different guy with maybe a bit of a different skill set. Also, maybe we go back in time and they just sign Harry Giles. But anyway... <laughs> Let's uh, move on to the second one I have for you here, Big V. Uh, sorry, Big Lavender. I keep screwing that up. My God. Uh, the the next one I have here uh, tied to what we were just talking about is uh, Norman Powell, who, boy, it's been rough. It was 2 of 7 last night, 2 of 4 from 3, so that's good. Uh, 6 points, an assist, a rebound, a steal, minus 5, 18 minutes. Uh-oh, or, uh, no, Norman Powell's general play and malaise he seems to be under. Are you worried this might just be who Norm Powell is and that last year was the aberration, or are you convinced he'll figure his stuff out and get back to the norm that we knew and loved last year, the reigning player of the week for nine months or whatever the hell it was until, I guess, uh, DeMontis Sabonis unseated him in the first week of the season? I'm still in eh, no, with Norm. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. I don't think that should change over a three-game span. Is he going to lead you know, the team in finishing at the rim and going to be one of the league leaders from that standpoint? Probably not. But I do think the actual process of him getting to the rim improved significantly last season. And that's why we saw the numbers go up. It wasn't like a crazy fluke that now everything was just dropping in. So do I think he's going to revert back 
to the rim percentages that he had before last season? No. Is it going to be as high as it was last season? No. I think there's room for improvement there. I think he can make some better decisions. Uh, he, he seems a bit more one-track-minded again, whereas last season there just seemed to be more composure. Uh, he just seemed more at ease with it and, and sort of just taking what the defense was giving him. There was that three against uh, Philly in this last game where he was wide open, but I think he had already predetermined that he was going to drive to the bucket. And so he ends up driving the lane and just gets himself into trouble. And then the very next play, he comes down and it's like, oh, I knew I should have. Now I realize I should have shot that three. So I'm going to dribble up the court and take this pull up three. It went in. But those type of decisions need to go away. And he's just got to play a bit more free, a bit more easy. And just play a bit more without that predetermination of what he's going to do. I still think the stuff about, you know, him playing more of the three than the two is going to hurt him. And so he's not going to be as good as last season, but I think he can still be norm, which he looked, he hasn't looked like so far. Yeah. It's, um, I'm also in an, eh, no for now. I, I think it's certainly th- something to keep an eye on considering, he has had these oscillations in performance throughout his career, and this could just be one of the nadirs that he has tended to go through over over the years. But like, I do believe his finishing from last year and his more sort of methodical approach around the rim, where he was actually you know busting out different counters and things like that, I think that was real. I, I you know maybe he's not going to be as efficient as he was last year because he was like ludicrously efficient, but. I think he is a better, more thoughtful around the rim player now than he was a couple years ago. But the like the IQ stuff, yeah. I mean, he'll like get out on a fast break and have no idea what to do. I mean, we saw it in the playoffs with Marcus Smart blocking his ass <laughs> in a clutch moment. Like he sometimes just like gets a little bit ahead of himself. His brain is going a little faster than his body can keep up with. And then you see him take shots that, like, I was discouraged from taking in sixth grade basketball. Like, he had, like, a weird-ass early clock long two yesterday. I was like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not a shot you should be taking. And I, it feels like it's pretty known that that's not a shot you should be taking. He tried to, like, dunk on Dwight Howard for some reason, even though there was just no way he was going to do it. It's just the, the decision-making's got to be better. Maybe he needs to have better decision-makers around him to help. Maybe that's where Malachi Flynn could help, for example, where, you know, Norm's not being tasked with creating all the time. He can kind of play off of a guy like Flynn. I don't know, but it is uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. I'm not quite in uh-oh territory, but it's getting close. Uh, the last one I have for you, sorry this is a longer podcast, but there's a lot to dive into from this stupid game last night. Uh, maybe bearing the lead with this one to close the show with it, but Pascal Siakam's two-point scoring. Boy, it has gone away. The three-pointer seems there. That's nice. I thought you know, the zero assists was not awesome last night, but I still think there were some instances of good playmaking, especially in the first half, where there were hockey assists and stuff that he put together, and I'm okay with it. But, man, the two-point scoring... You know, obviously Embiid is going to make it difficult for anybody. Ben Simmons is very good as well, obviously. Those two guys are just freaks to have as your defensive anchors. But it's now, like, continuing even from last year, even when he was at his best, it was kind of the weak part of his game, frankly, is the finishing that used to be the most automatic part of his game. It's just kind of lost, been lost somewhere. I don't know what's going on. Are you concerned that the yips Pascal developed the bubble with his two-point scoring in particular are just here to stay? Is it an uh-oh or an eh-no for you? This is an uh-oh for me. I think the thing that yeah. concerns me is he hasn't developed good counters and we're still seeing the same moves. So far this season, he's at 56% shooting at the rim. Last season was 65%. Uh, the couple seasons before that, he was at 71%. Now, obviously, he's being asked to do a lot more, so you f- expect the efficiency to drop. But one of the things I was hoping to see was more counters, a, b- a bit more variation in his moves in terms of getting to the rim, but we're kind of seeing that same, you know, drive left, spin right, or drive right, spin left, and there's nothing really beyond that. His frequency has dipped significantly through three games. 
only 20 percent mm-hmm. of his shots are coming at the rim um almost half his shots are coming in the mid-range so he's got to get that going a bit more uh in terms of actually making that shot because that short mid-range i like that he's getting to that spot and he's getting a pretty clean look he just needs to knock it down so far this season he's at 29 percent you know on those uh five to five to 15 feet jumpers but beyond that you know i I think if he knocks a few of those down again it just forces defenders to get up a bit closer to him or maybe open things up but but the rim finishing is a concern if he doesn't get more moves in the bag yeah i kind of want to like gift siakam like a protractor set so he can relearn the angles he seemed to have so perfectly mastered in his first couple seasons because like he would never miss from like eight feet and in you mentioned 71 percent like he from all over the place like strange obtuse angles very acute angles right in front of the basket like it it just it was so easy for him and so that's why i'm still in an uh, no because like i think he still has that somewhere in him that like that touch that feel around the basket like i don't think that just goes away and if it does if he just forgot how to score two pointers it's kind of an unprecedented thing and i guess would go in line with his unprecedented development arc to have an unprecedented loss of development too i don't know it's very strange i have no idea how to process it all but i'm a little bit more optimistic about pascal because i think the process has mostly been pretty good this year like you know, the first two games, I was pretty impressed with him. We talked about his playmaking. I think that's been really nice to see. The confidence with the three-point shot is so huge because he looked broken in the in the bubble from three. And I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, you mentioned the 29% on mid-rangers. While that's not good, I feel like anecdotally, like he's been a lot more confident taking those shots as well. The little stop and pops. He looks like he's not overthinking it, which is good. The jumper I, I, itself I just, looks a lot better. It does, yeah. yeah. Like, there's no toe tapping. There's no, like, falling backwards off balance. Like, he just looks like he's stationary when he's putting it up. It's nice. It's just the results have to come. And look, this is an overarching thing with the 0-3 start and the panic that seems to be setting into Raptors internet right now. is like, it's, yes, 0-3 is bad. It looks ugly. But it's it seems a lot worse than it is because there's no backdrop of good play to compare it against. Like the Raptors lost three in a row, two separate times last year, but I don't think most people were concerned because a, there were a ton of injuries and B, they had a long track record of kicking ass the entire season. And it was like, Oh yeah, they'll probably just snap back. I think the approach here is to look at the grand scheme of recent history with the team and say, okay, well, yeah, they lost Gasol and Ibaka, but they still have, Kyle Lowry they have OG who seems to be much better and is really kind of settling in these last couple games and looks very very good they have Fred who obviously has his very good merits in addition to some of the things that are drawbacks but for the most part very good effective player and Pascal has been for the most part awesome in his career and I just it's a lot easier to I think spiral and say he's broken because we haven't seen a ton of him over the last year uh, with the shutdown. It's been a long layoff. It was the bubble that was completely out of the ordinary for him, and he looked like he was lost, and he admitted to feeling lost. And these three games, I think, kind of amplify the feeling that uh oh, things are broken here. And I mean, Michael Pina, friend of the show, tweeted out the the stat that Pascal and Lou Dort have basically the same number of points on basically the same number of shots. And it's just like, oh, uh oh, that, that that's that's not pretty. But it, it's I don't think it's some sort of sign that Pascal is broken. Maybe this is me being naive and not reading the signs of the bubble and and today. But I I think the bubble was such a an outlier experience for everybody that it's hard to take anything from it. Right, like. Are we sure Jamal Murray's like the fourth best player in the world? Probably not. The bubble was weird for everybody. And so I just, I'm willing to give it some time with Pascal. I think the signs have been nice. The confidence is there. The defense has been excellent still. It's kind of what he always brings. He, you know, was a monster again yesterday. And when he's at his best, it's when the Raptors are at their best as well. Obviously, they're not going to go far if he is still this player in this shell of a man shooting twos, but I'm willing to give it a little bit more time. So for me, it's a bit of an eh, no, with kind of like the norm thing, a bit of a red flag raised where I'm going to keep an eye on it. But for now, 
I think that's probably a good place to leave this. We went a long time today, yeah. and there was a lot to dig into. From so this, one thing uh, I just want to say hell show of and game. be yeah, clear with ahead. Pascal is I was specifically answering your question within the context of just his rim finishing, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. In terms of big picture as a player, I still have a big believer in that. I, I definitely wouldn't say yeah. up oh to that. Well, I guess the, the rim scoring is a very, very important part of him actually being the player we all think he is right like if he doesn't have that then he is kind of just like a very good three and d player and there that's not going to cut it for a team that has as we've talked about currently one reliable ball handler and an initiator and he needs to be more than a three and d player right so i guess that's why i was sort of conflating the two things into into one if that's right fair. yeah yeah no i hear that yeah. i just i just think the reality maybe is you know he's he's on a championship team, he's best suited for being the third best player, the second best scorer, you know? And I think having that superstar just changes the types of looks that's available to him as well. And that's not going to come with him as the number one guy. Hey, man, the Wizards are 0-4 or whatever. They look like crap. <laughs> Get Beal, baby! Uh <laughs> that would be wonderful. Anyway, it'd be quite cool. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for today's show. Sorry we went a little bit longer but there was uh, a lot to dive into. We didn't even talk about OG being properly. ridiculous. Yeah, he was a monster. It was beautiful. He looks awesome. His passing as a center to the bigs, if only the bigs could freaking finish, my God. <laughs> but it's all looking quite good with OG the last couple of games, frankly. The defense has been uh, monstrous all three games, frankly. But yeah, I'm uh, feeling it, man. He's looking good. We'll save that. We'll save the OG love in for after he uh, demolishes the Knicks and makes RJ Barrett cry on New Year's Eve uh, <laughs> or something like that. But we've gone far too long. Vivek, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. The, my uh, my office just smells of lavender because of you and your silky tones, and we love you. Uh, do you have anything you would like to promote? Just the usual stuff. Follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Read my work at Complex. And hopefully I'll have stuff coming soon for CBC. And I have a soccer podcast called Red Couch Manx. That's all Manchester United. And so if you enjoy those things, go ahead and give it a listen. Absolutely, man. It didn't go so hot for Man United yesterday, right? Like they No, they, they won one. They, pay no. attention. They, they scored in oh, the last minute. I saw it. I saw our pal Sasha Calra getting very angry during the course of the game. I guess that was before the, the last yes. minute goal. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, screw you, Man, Man United. Also, Man City. All the teams that aren't Spurs, <laughs> frankly. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for today. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's much appreciated. Hope everybody has a wonderful New Year's Eve. Be safe. Don't be stupid. Stay inside. Play some games. I'm going to play... Uh, some zoom trivia with friends you should all do that it's very good um and we will be back probably on monday maybe friday if uh, things really go haywire in the next game um but we'll I'll probably take the next couple days off so thank you out there listeners for supporting and being wonderful and we may just see you in 2021 goodbye hell year sayonara have a good one everybody talk to you soon Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.